I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. When you have been a comedian, as long as Jerry Seinfeld's been a comedian, you write a lot of material. Jerry's latest book is a collection of jokes he's written over 45 years. Trademark Jerry Seinfeld. Random musings about the absurdities of everyday life. So Jerry will be here to tell you about the first time he tried those kind of jokes on stage and the first time he got a big laugh. Jerry Seinfeld coming up. I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So question for you. Have you ever used any of these phrases in everyday conversation? Double dipper? Close talker? Puffy shirt? Well, you got Jerry Seinfeld to thank for all that. For decades, he's been a master of observing the awkward, mundane moments between regular people and finding the humor in them. His hit TV show, Seinfeld, ran for nine seasons. Believe it or not, this year marks 25 years since the last episode aired. And even though it was called a show about nothing, it changed everything. And it really came to define comedy in the 90s. But, ready? What's the deal with Jerry Seinfeld? Uh, But he's this kid from Brooklyn, New York, and he made his way through the comedy clubs to become arguably the most influential comic of his generation. After Seinfeld, Jerry went on to TV and, and movie projects. But through it all, there's been one constant, a yellow legal pad of paper. For 45 years, Jerry's been carrying yellow legal pads of paper around and using them to work out his jokes. He has this new book called Is This Anything? And it's a collection of the musings from those yellow pads of paper. This is one of my favorite conversations we've ever had on Q. It's it's a pleasure to replay it for you if you haven't heard it yet. You know what? Even if you have. Here's Jerry Seinfeld with me back in 2020 to talk about his incredible career. Jerry, how are you? Good, Tom. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, Thanks for coming on. It's nice to talk to you. Um, I want to talk about the beginning of the book, which starts with you in the mid-1960s, living room floor, legs crossed, bowl of cereal in front of your TV. (laughs) You're staring at a comedian in a dark suit and tie in the Ed Sullivan show. What is going through your mind at this time? Um, Well, and you know, in the 60s, there was a lot of magical things that happened. You know, there were magical people like uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King. They, these were, uh, uh, you know, Sean Connery. They were, these were all magical, not people that didn't seem real. So um, when I 
So stand-up comedians that I would see on Ed Sullivan, like George Carlin or Richard Pryor, Alan King, they, they were all they were in that group of people that I saw as a child, thinking maybe they were superheroes or something. Um, it just didn't seem, you know, like part of the real world. Uh, and I wanted to be all of those people that I just mentioned. Um, and but it, it just didn't seem like a uh, it seemed like an impossibility. But you couldn't, uh, I couldn't take my eyes off of any of them. And, uh, and the comedians particularly seemed like the most, they were having the most fun life of anybody I could imagine. And uh, so as, as I grew and I continued watching them, I, I learned about it, but very slowly. And it, it, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't find out about these people and what they were doing or how they did it. Um, it really wasn't until I was about 18 or 19 that a book came out uh, called The Last Laugh, which was the first book completely about this world of stand-up comedy. And I dove into that book, and uh, that, that was really the doorway right. that I was looking for. I, I, I want to go from sort of the, the reading about it and to the, to the doing it, and I want to talk about it through the lens of this clip. <laughs> Jerry, I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you recognize it. What are we listening to? Is that Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that was the greatest. That was a guy that we heard about out in Long Island. Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. We didn't know his name. We just heard there was this guy who was going on stage. <laughs> And he was playing the conga drums and crying because he was bombing. <laughs> and uh, that, that's, that was the first thing we heard. And then we heard there were these clubs that these young people were going on stage because we would only see old comedians for the most part on, um, on TV. There was a, a few young ones, not that many. And when we heard about this guy, we decided we have to go find this guy and we have to see him because he just sounded so hilarious. So how did it feel when you first started going into Manhattan and going into these comedy clubs, these sort of places that were sort of imaginary to you when you first started going into them? How did you feel? Uh, terrified, excited. Um, uh, I, I, I was just... Uh, wildly in wonder of what was going on in these rooms and uh, how these people were doing it. I didn't know how they did it or, or uh, but I, uh, it, it just, uh, it's funny. It's a just, uh, it's funny to look back on it now and for me to look back at my young self and realize I didn't know what was happening to me, mm. but that I was being introduced to my calling. Mm. And uh, that's, a, that's a funny moment to look back on in your life because, you know, the, the naivete of the moment is, uh, is very, uh, very cute <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very like you had no idea you were this kid walking in there being like, okay, okay, I guess I'll go in there. And you had no idea that in that moment, kind of your, your life opened up, you know? Right. Yeah, no idea. Do you remember the first set? I do. I do remember the very first set. And uh, oh, it was so depressing, so discouraging. Because um, when you watch comedy, when you're young, when you watch it, um, 
it looks easy. It, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look easy, but it looks easier than it actually is. And um, I don't know if this is in the book, but the thing that you never have can anticipate is when you go on, stand on a stage to make an audience laugh, you have no idea how quiet it is before uh, yeah. uh, you, you start talking. Even as you're talking, you have no idea how there's no laughter in going on in the room at all. Unless you make it. Like, it's unless not there you it unless you yeah. make it. Yeah, it's not there already. Yeah, it's like making a fire in the woods. You see, well, there's wood. I guess we can make a fire. And that's that's technically true. Yeah. But it's a long way. <laughs> so what got you your first real one? Like, what, what got the fire? What was the joke that got the first real the laugh? The first laugh I got was the left bit, which is the first bit that I, I have in the book. In the book, which yeah. Which is about... Um, uh, the negative uh, perception of, that the word left always seems to be associated with. Um, and you go to a party, there's nobody there. Would everybody go? They left. <laughs> and that joke got an applause. It was a fir- my very first time uh, even talking to an audience. And when they applauded, I just froze. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I was completely taken aback by it and I forgot everything that I was going to do after that. Yeah, that's how you wanted to go, right? You finally get a laugh and then you just freeze like a deer in the headlight because you got a laugh yeah. at all. That's ideal. I was ready for a laugh, but I was not ready for a, people to applaud. Yeah. You know, it's just I, 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 I didn't have much confidence in myself to do it. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. But I didn't think I had any particular talent. It's it's wild. I can imagine you getting that laugh and like Dream Weaver starts playing in the background or something like that. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, an old song. Uh, yeah, it certainly is. And then you get um, your work ethic from reading a George Burns book, right? Uh, well, somewhat. Um, I I really got it more from watching uh, the rate of attrition of people that were further advanced than me. Uh, you know, I watched people that were in it five, six years and go on TV and succeed and then quickly fail from a lack of material. Right. And, yeah. You talk about how people would go on The Tonight Show and they would do well, yeah. but then they wouldn't do well after that on The Tonight Show. Right. They would go on one time and do great. And then they go on a second time and do OK. And the third time do bad. And then they're never heard from again. Because it's a it's a lesson that I think anyone in the arts or anyone in some, any kind of career. I mean, you talk in the book about how it's closer to sports than to arts, but yeah, that it's it's actually a lot of. And I mean this in the best possible way, like boring work, like actually sitting down and writing jokes, even if it's not necessarily boring to you. You know what I mean? And that, that's that seems like an interesting lesson to learn. Yeah. All good creative work should be drudgery mm. it's you you don't find great things in large quantities that's that's not how that's not part of human existence you know if you if you can find some um way to accept that life of pure drudgery then you can then you can live and you can live a long life in the arts but if you find the drudgery is too painful you'll have a short life in the arts. Did things get immediately better when you discovered the drudgery? Like, did your act get immediately yes. better? Yes, yes. I suddenly started to uh, find myself moving through levels. I was getting spots and shows uh, and, you know, um, 
And then I was getting asked to be on TV and then come back and come back. But I was ready. By the time I got on TV, I had been, uh, uh, you know, working at learning how to work for five years, which isn't that long. It seemed like a long time to me when you're young. But uh, I was ready for them, you know, because when they said uh, that was good, can you come back in three months and do it again? I would say yes. And I knew that I could. Most comedians, they would say, yes, I, uh, I'll be back in three months, but they didn't have the material. The material is a, um, you know, it's one of those, like one of those drip coffee makers. It just comes out really slow. Mm. And there's no amount, there's no way to speed it up. Uh, you have to you have to work hard and you have to be able to wait for the good material. And that can, that, that, I mean, that doesn't mean sitting around waiting for the muse to hit. That means sitting down and just writing. Because I think that's when I read this book, I'm just watching no. you work it. You know, I'm watching you, like I'm imagining you writing down the word horse and going, all right, where do we just go with this horse? Where can we go, you know? Well, I wouldn't start with something that basic but i but i would go horseback riding and and you know anything that's not good is good <laughs> what do you that's mean that's what you're looking for um well the worse the experience the more likely it's going to be something interesting to talk about so when you go horse when i went horseback riding and i had a horrible experience that's when you're onto something if you're having a horrible experience uh you're in a good place and that's why success is the poison of comedy, which is uh, something I've said many times, because with success gives you the ability to spare yourself discomfort and difficulty. The more success you have, the more money you have, the more you can avoid uh, unpleasantness in life. And unpleasantness is the gold. That's the, that's the gold mine. You're listening to Q. I'm Tom Power. My guest today is Jerry Seinfeld, who has a new book, Is This Anything? An archive of jokes written throughout his 45-year career. Jerry, I want to play a clip from you from writer-director Judd Apatow appearing on Q a while back to promote his book, Sick in the Head. You know, there are two different types of comedians, I think. You know, some are driven by neuroses and pain. Some of them have a lot of rage or some inferiority complex that makes them want to work it out in front of people uh -huh. or get approval. And other comedians are just funny, and you, you spend your whole life going, how come nothing's wrong with that guy? Jerry, how do you feel about that, and what category of Judds do you see yourself in? Oh, I'm definitely in the second group. But never think that you can do comedy without uh, rage <laughs> and aggression. <laughs> It's all it's all candy coated for fun, but it that that is kind of the engine underneath all of it. But it, it's shared rage. It's right. like it's That's shared right. aggression, and I'll say That's it's right. it's broadly shared. Like you never get too personal about your own personal rage or your own personal darkness. How purposeful is that? That it's it's about a shared broad. It has rage. to be shared, and it has to be so skillfully uh, woven into fun you know this this when lewis black starts complaining you you love it you can't wait there's nothing worse than lewis black having a good day <laughs> there's nothing in there for us yeah if don rickles liked somebody i wouldn't want to watch yeah, it <laughs> exactly exactly 
So, you know, I am, I, I am not a discontented or depressed person, but I have enough going on inside of me uh, that's, you know, let's call it negative emotion. Because without that, it's very hard to be funny, I think. It's, 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 a, it's an ingredient, it's an essential ingredient in the recipe. It's like a mozzarella cheese and Italian food. But that, but that broadness, that idea that like, I'm going to share the rage of everybody or I'm going to, you know, uh, encapsulate the rage of the audience. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that both successful for your own stand-up but also for the success of the TV show? Is that partly why the TV show was so successful, you think? Oh, sure, yeah, sure. Every joke in there, every bit that we did is based on something annoying, something you hate. But but just because you hate it, that doesn't make it funny. That's just where you start. Seinfeld is still on TV everywhere, like every day. Probably right now, if I turned on the TV in the studio, oh, it would yeah. be on right now. It's uh, on Carter right now. And and like people have, I don't know if you've seen this, but people have been watching it more and more during the pandemic. On Crave, which is the kind of the streaming service here in Canada. Oh yeah. People have been like Seinfeld is like the number three streamed during the pandemic what what do you account- oh wow that's cool but what do you account for its longevity when we don't really watch all in the family anymore when we don't watch you know uh, uh, hanging with mr cooper anymore what <laughs> what what do you what do you what or wings that is so wrong because hanging with mr cooper had some funny stuff yeah, no disrespect to mr cooper but what, what, no disrespect well what do you think is the accounts for the longevity of it I'll, I'll give you the jackie gleason answer because he was asked this question about the honeymooners uh, his entire life people would always ask why do you think these shows are still on and he had a two-word answer uh, they're funny and real uh, only through the lens of time is the distillation of something that's really funny and kind of funny, that, that that's where you separate yourself from the uh, pack. Everything else is of its time. You know, people talk about, you know, political comedy or a comedy that's more of, 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 of the moment. That, that's, the, that's the easiest stuff. The hard stuff is write something funny today that people are going to want to see in 20 years. That's, now, now, you're, now you're doing something. I want to play a clip from the show. Take a listen to this. Anyway, I, I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Watley. I, I have a suspicion that he's converted to Judaism purely for the jokes. <laughs> and this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian. Jerry, it's, it holds up, man. It holds up. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld is a comedian and author. His new book is called Is This Anything? One of the things you talk about in this book that I found really interesting is because I think if people listen to this so far, they know you'll labor over it. You'll do the drudgery, as you call it, to get your stand-up right. But when you were doing Seinfeld, the show, you often had to churn out stand-up very quickly just right, for the right. sake of the show. Um, h- how was that? Was that a challenge for you? It was very unpleasant for me because you're asking you're asking someone to work in a way that is not their way, you know? Um, so I did it as long as I could, but then I had to give it up. Because just the sheer amount of the material. I mean, if you're churning out a 60 page script from a blank sheet of paper in three days, and then you have to come up with five minutes of stand up also, and you're in, in every scene of the show, it's, you know, it gets to be a human impossibility. 
So I, I want I got two quick questions for you to close things off before you have to go. What is a quick question, by the way? It means uh, it means one that may only you, you might be able to do it in like forty five seconds, not like eight minutes. Is maybe what okay. I mean by that. It's also yeah. a way of getting you to think that I'm 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 going to do this quickly. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah. People always say quick question. Yeah. Um, so qu- quick question number one. You, <laughs> you in the book say. You know that's you know that's something that makes me laugh that I will jot down now. The quick question. See if I can see if I can hit that target. I'll put that target across the room with uh, <laughs> with a bow and arrow. See, let me see if I can get a laugh off of the stupidity of quick question. I got a quick question here for you, but but but, but all it means is that <laughs> I just. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you another thing that attracts me to it. What? Is you got the K sound in in the quick and the K sound. And a question. So quick question is already, you're already in a funny kind of, uh, when you have funny sounds, yeah. that, that's, that's another good place to start comedy. You already sound like an old detective, you know, you sound yeah, like, you sound like Columbo it already. It's detective work. It is detective work. All you're, right. You have little clues and you're trying to crack the case. Brief question. I <laughs> brief question. You say in the book, I deeply love the endless, somewhat torturous struggle of never quite feeling that you've got your act where you want it. Right. Um, as someone who like makes records, I can make a record and then I'm done and I can say, OK, the record's done. Uh, it may be taken away from me, but it's done. Mm-hmm. It sounds excruciating. That torturous struggle of never mm-hmm. quite feeling like you got you got it where you want it. Right. Yes. C- can, can you tell me more about that? Well, I mean, if you make music, you know what I'm talking about. It's like if you get up to perform that song, even if you've got a, a perfect recorded version of it, I'm, I'm sure at times you get up to perform it in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to go a certain way. And most likely you're going to go, it wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be. And and yet, and yet, sometimes it'll be better than the, than the recorded version. And that kills you too. Think, gee, I wish I had that on tape. And so that that's the the pain of it. And um, but it's so much a part of human existence in general. Things are always better or worse or just not quite right. And and, uh, if you are aggravated and frustrated by those things, that energy is also part of the show. And does that make it hard to do a special? Yes, it does. Because, you know, and I just did that um, uh, 23 Hours to Kill, which, uh, you know, a lot of that material, some of the material in there I've been working on for 15 years. And I and there are a lot of, uh, there are many bits in there that I've done better. And I did four, uh, we, we videotaped the, the show four times. And you're hoping that you can get to this place where you're doing it better than you've ever done it in your life. And some, it's almost impossible to achieve. That's why I say it's like a sport. That's why I can watch a, a pitcher throw a baseball and just, I, I know what they're going through. You're trying to get to this place in your mind. Is that why Jay Leno hasn't done a special, you think? Like, I know not to speak for Jay here, but he, he famously has never done a special, even though he's like an acclaimed yeah, stand-up. He did a special in the 80s. I forget what it was called. And I, it had some stand-up in it and some other stuff in it. I don't remember, but... He, he feels like he doesn't want to give his act away. And uh, I kind of agreed with that most of the time, but I felt like I got to a point where it was, I needed it to be on record because, you know, when you're 65, you don't know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. But I thought, I, I, want, I want this to be on record if, I, if something happens. 
All right, last last rapid question. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing rapid about these questions. Look at how long it took us to answer your quick question. Last sprightly question, Jerry, is um, I was talking to my friend about this the other day about cereal. You talk about cereal uh, in your act, in your book, in, yeah. in, and even in the new special. We were talking yeah. about the difference between your 8 a.m. cereal and your 10 p.m. cereal. The cereal start, oh, start with in the morning, and the yeah. cereal have it as a treat. For me, it's Raisin Bran in the morning, and yeah. then the nighttime I'd have Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. What's your 8 a.m. and 10 p.m. cereal? Uh, you know, in the morning, you, 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 you're thinking positive. And so uh, I, I try to think positive in the morning. Just try, let's try and make this a good day. And so I almost always have oatmeal, which I like anyway. And it's a great cereal. It's good for you. And at night, it's, it's Frosted Flakes. Uh, Raisin Bran Crunch. Uh, ha- have you had that, Tom? No, I don't think we have that up here. Oh, that's so sad. But of course you do. Of course you do. Anything we have, you have. Please, please, <laughs> I beg of you. I'm just saying that so they'll Quick send question. me free boxes in the mail. Quick question for you. Do you have Raisin Bran Crunch? <laughs> you, can get, you can get Raisin Bran. If you like Raisin Bran, you have to try Raisin Bran Crunch. It is a finalist and greatest cereals of all time. I'll also say I don't think oatmeal is cereal. Uh, all right. It's in a bowl. So is soup. I got a spoon. <laughs> I got milk. <laughs> I got brown sugar. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) Jerry, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Tom. It was really fun to talk to you. If you can't tell, it's one of the happiest moments of my life. Like that interaction right there, just talking about the cereal. Jerry Seinfeld is a comedian and an author. His new book is called Is This Anything? It's available now. Jerry Seinfeld is touring right now throughout the U.S. and Canada, including a stop in Halifax, where he'll be headlining the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival on August 11th. That is it for this episode of Q. It's a, it's a, it's a best of Q today. So the other conversation you're going to hear uh, on our podcast feed today is uh, another best of conversation. My chat with Angie Thomas, who is the author of the best-selling YA novel, The Hate You Give, which became a, you know, a really big hit and you know, it was made into a movie. But more importantly, it talked openly about police brutality through the eyes of a young black woman. Angie's going to talk a little bit about where The Hate You Give came from and what you can talk about from our real world so effectively when you talk about it through fantasy. All right, check that out. I'm Tom Power. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.